this morning we're going to be looking, starting with one verse, Genesis 3.1, which says, Yea, hath God said. Now, it's interesting, as we engage in this subject, some people are not going to be appreciative of it. Some might even condemn it. But it needs to be said in the day and age in which we're living. It needs to be addressed. We know what the world thinks about the church. Let me read you an article here. It says the new supposedly elected Democratic submitted a document which declares that the race of white Christian nationalism is a national security threat. The PAC wants to rid the nation entirely of religious freedom, restoration act, and they plan uh, calls America's motto, In God We Trust, a relic of McCarthyism and the anti-atheist hysteria of the 1950s. If you go back to that time, there was really some things happening and McCarthy was looking into a lot of people who were associated with the Communist Party and they really, they they crucified that man. But it says that uh, the hatred the Jewish leaders had for Christ and the truth he preached is just as strong today among our nation as it was against Christ and the Jewish nation when he preached to them. So I want to look this morning a little bit on this subject. And it, what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to be naming some names, and some people might get upset with that, but the reason I'm doing so is because these names that I'm addressing have a far-reaching effect in the Christian church. Some of them are dead. They can't defend themselves. They don't have to because their words already convict them. And I want to share that with you. I want you to be aware of what's happening within the church body. We, we just read what the world governments, and this is not only in America, it's spreading all over the world. The world governments look at the church as being the one obstacle that is standing in the way of a world religious organization, a world government wherein we will be under one ruler and it's coming and it's being set up even as we speak this morning. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorite Bible teachers. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) States that all the New Testament writers speak of the approaching apostasy. To them, it was just a small hand, just a little cloud on the horizon, the size of a man's hand. But that cloud has now darkened and covered the entire sky, and we are in the midst of a storm like has never been before. We are seeing it. Dr. McGee continues, Today we are in the storm. We are seeing one of the greatest departures from the faith and the history of the church. And a lot of people are totally unaware. A lot of people are drinking from a well that's filled with poison. And they are drinking gleefully. They are being brought into an understanding that is actually alien from what scripture teaches. You need to be aware of that. You need to be able to say, thus saith the Lord. When they say, yeah, has God said that? 
you can say, yes, this is what God says. This is what they're saying today. Paul in Acts 20, verse 29, gives warning of what would happen to the church after his departure. Paul had given them the truth. And no long, no sooner had he given them the truth and departed from where he was preaching the message of Jesus Christ and salvation, he said that there would be wolves that would slip in among the church members and they would twist and turn and distort the word of God to the point that it would become unrecognizable and unacceptable. And those that were that fell into the grips of this false preaching, this false Christianity, were being brought into the very pits of hell itself without any hope. If you deny what Jesus Christ has said, and you rely upon what some doctor with so many PhD degrees, this, that, and another thing. Some people are swayed by that. They like to have someone that, well, the, the right reverend doctor, blah, 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 you know. Christ is not impressed with a doctorate degree, folks. Christ is not impressed with how many years one has spent in the, in the universities studying various items of Christianity. He's interested in not what hath the Lord said, but thus saith the Lord. There's a great difference, folks. And you have the responsibility of standing as a spokesman for Jesus Christ. And this morning, well, Terry and I were in California, and we were invited to go to this church. And it's one of the rip-roaring modern-day churches. We had never been to it. We didn't know anything about it. But as soon as you got there, you realized that it was not what you were familiar with. They had the the hip-hop team up there dancing up and down, singing, jumping. They had the smoke machine going. It wasn't very, just a few minutes till I wanted to really get up and walk out. But we were guests and we didn't do that. <laughs> but that goes on. Every Sunday morning, folks, the mega churches that have thousands of people packed into their auditorium, that big church in Dallas, where that they converted a stadium into a church, and I forget how many thousands it holds every morning, but this fellow gets up with his big, bright, toothy smile and his manicured hair, and he just a grin that you, you got to have sunshades on in order to protect yourself. But he begins to spiel. And it has nothing at all to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has to do with how good do you feel about yourself? What can you do to make everything positive in your life? First of all, let me say this morning, when Satan said, Yea, hath God said, The first temptation, one temptation, one little seed of doubt planted, and it brought the downfall of the human race. Yea, hath God said? Eve knew what God said, folks. She wasn't ignorant of what God had told Adam. Thou shalt not, you can eat of everything that's been provided in the garden, but of the tree of the, of knowledge of good and evil, You better not bother that. She knew what God said, 
But then Satan twisted it and made it a little more appealing and said, yeah, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, he will be like God because you know the difference between good and evil. And that so possessed Eve that she disobeyed what she knew God had said and she partook of it, gave to her husband, and he very well knew what God had said and he partook of it. And then Satan won the title deed to this earth, which he still holds today, folks. He's the God of this world. <laughs> and he is doing according to what he wants to do. He's, he's, he's elevating himself to the place to where he's going to be worshipped through the Antichrist. That man, he's probably alive today. When you see what's going on in the world, you have the new reset. When you have the financial status of the entire world in the position to where it's ready to absolutely collapse And they're going to have to have something that will build it back up. And what better item to have than one man having control over it all and all nations' sovereignty is is evaporated. He is going to receive that moment of worship through the Antichrist when the Antichrist at the beginning of the tribulation makes a covenant with Israel. The temple will be rebuilt and the sacrifices resumed that they haven't had since AD 70. And in the middle of the tribulation period, after three and a half years, this man will enter the Holy of Holies, declaring himself to be God and to be worshipped as God. And if you don't worship him, it means decapitation. It means martyrdom. And it says during that time, there will be a number martyred that you can't even number. People are, are neglecting what is offered today, the free salvation. Whosoever will, let him come and partake of the water of life freely. Drink, be satisfied. They're rejecting that. And those that do that, when that time comes, will realize what is taking place and they will defy the Antichrist. And that's where that innumerable multitude slain for the testimony of Christ takes place. But what you have this morning, folks, this word right here is being assaulted as never before, not from the outside, but it's being assaulted in you know, Christian universities, Christian Bible colleges, and so many people are absolutely unable to distinguish between the false and the truth. I have a book that I bought caught my eye and the title of it is Already Compromised and what it is it's a book that this Christian organization Ken Ham and some others had this Christian organization select a great number of colleges and Christian universities and they went and they interviewed them as to their view upon an inerrant scripture are an errant scripture. And the outcome of it was very bleak. Just because it has Christianity over the name of the university or whatever doesn't mean that they believe in the entire word of God. This word, friends, from beginning, the first verse in Genesis to the last verse in Revelation and the period at the end of that is absolute truth. There is no error in it. And there are those 
professors today that will stand nose to nose and defy you to to believe a Bible. How could we have a Bible that's written by men, infallible men, be infallible? And a lot of our young people are not geared to resist what's being brought to them. And they go into a Christian college or a Christian university and you don't see them in church after they go through the programs that's been presented to them. Friends, we're in, we're in grave trouble. What I appreciate so much and have since the beginning when Chuck Smith began Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa and he brought all of these wild-haired, I mean, wow. He brought them in and began to teach the simple truth of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the way through the Bible. And these young people began to be saved. And they began to accept Christ as their Savior. And many of these that were heavy in drugs and such, through Jesus Christ turning their life around, came some of the best preachers that we have today. I'm thankful for that. And that's what I love about Calvary Chapel and any other order. We're not the only ones, but there's other groups that go verse by verse from the beginning all the way through the Scripture. When you do that, friends, you can't bypass those things you don't like. I mean, you you have to cover it. And you can't get on a a, a hobby horse and just cover the things you do like. You have to pick each item that's there and expound on it so that people will understand. And it, it it's it's... It's like a, a great feast. I mean, every time the words open and you go, you learn something different. And when you go through and start over, you find out there's things you missed along the way. So you pick it up and you eat it and you grow that much more. What a blessing it is. And I'll stand on the word of God from beginning to end. But there are those today that will argue that the word of God is fallible, that there are errors in it. And they begin by taking the first five books of Moses and they begin to inject in the minds of people that Moses did not write the five books of Moses. I mean, of, of, of the Gospels, the Pentateuch. That there were four or more men that wrote that book and they will put that out, put it in, in the minds of young people and those that buy it. Yea, God said. So there begins to be, the foundation begins to be shaken. And they, they go on from there. They get to the place where in Daniel, that he so surprised, so he laid it out precisely as what would take place before it happened. And they say it couldn't have been written before time. That because it had to be written after the facts because they are so accurate. So there you have a, a chink removed again that, well, it's not what it claims to be. It isn't a book on prophecy. It's a book after the fact, taking history and then writing it out as being presented before the time took place. In these are some scriptures that you can write down and you can put in your Bible of what the Word of God is to start with. Psalms one nineteen one sixty, the King James Version, it says, Thy word is true from the beginning. That means that first in begins Genesis in. 
the English Standard Version says that the sum of your word, that is a mathematical term meaning when you sum everything of the sum total of it is truth. The Amplified Bible says the sum of your word is truth. The total of the full meaning of all your individual precepts and every one of your righteous decrees endure forever. Our young people need this. We need it. Psalms 138.2 says, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all else your name and your word. And you have magnified your word above your name. Is God, has God given us a word that we have to look in the fallible word to find the infallible. Otherwise, we are the judge of Scripture, not the Scripture being our judge. Culture today has come to the place where they are completely erasing what God has stated and are accepting what culture demands. They want us read it a certain way, and they are doing so. God's word is pure and perfect and it has been attacked from without and there is a savage attack from within and we're seeing it. God's word is so accurate that Jesus said in Matthew 5.18 in uh, the Amplified Version, I tell you until the sky and earth pass away and perish not one small letter nor one little hook, the identifying Certain Hebrew letters will pass from the law until all things it foreshadows have been accomplished. That's the size of a period. The smallest minute letter in the Hebrew wording will not pass away until it has been fulfilled. How dare any professor or any one stand before a congregation and say, Yea, hath, hath, hath God said? And then begin to dismantle the truth of God's word. And people not being aware of what is taking place, drink it in to their own destruction. Just like Eve, she was willing to do away with what God said and embrace what God said not to do. God's word is pure and perfect. It has been attacked from without and within. And there is a savage attack from within the leadership of the church. The Christian colleges and universities. In Matthew twenty four thirty five, says that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. That's that's why, folks. Whenever you go to bed at night, you have Christ as your Savior, and you lay your head down on that pillow, not knowing whether you'll awake the next day or not. Someone has put it this way. You might get up in the morning and tie your shoes and put your clothes on, but before the day is over, a mortician will untie the shoes and take them off and prepare you for burial. We don't know the day nor the hour. I'm amazed. I'll be 83 in, in March. God has given me a great number of years. I am I'm absolutely astounded. And when I look back on my life and see how that God has spared me, I, there's been four or five times in my life that death was just a hair's breadth from happening. And God moved me just enough for that it didn't happen. 
God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. It doesn't matter the extent of years that God gives you. It's the way that you live those years that God has provided you to live in. And Jesus, by the way, closed the debate on this whole subject of that God's word has error in it. When he said, sanctify them in thy truth. Your word that is beginning to the end is truth. That's why the martyrs. There there was one man that was going to be burned at the stake. For upholding the word of God. Preaching the word of God. And refusing to turn from the word of God. And in his cell that night. He, he could see the stake out there in the courtyard. That they had erected. That he was going to be chained to. And the flat. The would place around him and set on fire. He knew he was going to die. And he had a candle on the table. And he was thinking about that moment and what it was going to be like. And he took his finger and he placed it over the fire of that candle. And he pulled it back because it hurt. He said, Father, how am I going to do this? And God spoke to him and said, You don't have the grace before it's needed. God gives you the grace when it's needed to do the things he's called you to do, to die the death he called you to die. So we can, we can't borrow from the future, but we can rest in that God's word has promised. Paul was, he went to God three times concerning something that was bothering him in his ministry. He was buffeted and he, cried to God three times in agony, remove it. And God said, my grace is sufficient. And that prayer wasn't answered. And then Paul, because God spoke to his heart, he said, I will greater, I will glorify in my weaknesses that God may be glorified in them more so than in my strength. And Paul was able to do far more than anyone else that we know of, faithful to the very end. Now, I'm going to name some names, and it's important. Uh, I want to point out the destructive and damnable hearsay they have preached that is still pulling men and women into eternity, lost and undone. And I have biblical, I have biblical proof that this is acceptable to name names. We're not trying to slander anybody and cause them to be, you know, in a bad light. Their own words could do that themselves. But I would be amiss if I did not reveal the names and what they teach for their influence is still active. And there's many people that's being destroyed because of their listening to the words of these men. Paul, you remember in 2 Timothy 4, verses 14 to 15, speaks of a man that had done great harm and would continue to harm others because he opposed the truth, not accepting what God's word had said and would encourage others to oppose the truth as well. You remember Demetrius, the silversmith? So what I'm saying, if, if you're offended, I guess you can come talk to me. That's all right. But... I'm saying this because these men 
are to be held up as heretics and not to be followed as great servants of God. Union, let me, let me just give you a small example of what is going on right now. This was just last month, this came out, and I found it on the internet. Union seminary students confess to plants today in chapel. I'm talking about the little green things that grow. We confess to plants together because we held our grief, joy, regret, hope, guilt, and sorrow in prayer, offering them to the beings who sustain us, but whose gift we too often fail to honor. Many of the great institutes that was Harvard, Princeton, and there's others, they were started with the one purpose of training men to take God's word and give it to God's people who in those days didn't have the luxury we have of having all of the abundance of, of books that we can purchase and learn and glean from. Listen to this. Harvard. Harvard was an institute that was established to train men to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The new chief chaplain at Harvard is an atheist. The elevation of Greg Epstein reflects a broader trend of young people who increasingly identify as spiritual but religiously not affiliated. This man is over other chaplains at Harvard. He's the, the, the main one. You know what they said? This man is more able to minister to all the religious body that represents Harvard. Buddhists, they had uh, Hindu, they had Muslim. Yeah, he's, he's able to minister to them. Sad to say that these people that are involved in that are lost. What are you going to minister to them? In John five forty six and 47, Jesus affirms, let me read that. Do you know what they say about Jesus? They said that Jesus was as ignorant as the people of his day. He didn't rise above their ignorance. Therefore, what he believed in the first five books of what we say Moses, because Moses wrote them, Jesus affirmed that. That he was ignorant and didn't rise above the beliefs of his day. Do you know what that's doing to Jesus Christ? That is placing him as being a mere man that knew no more than those that he was ministering to. These are coming from men that are supposed to be training others to take the gospel message. John 5, 46. By the way, uh, I think I will stick by what God's word says rather than what some of these new individuals are spouting. I'm safe if I do that. You're not safe if you drink in what these other people are saying. Well, if I get to the right book, it'll read right. I didn't think it looked right. (laughs) Matthew and John aren't quite the same. 
You know, they find all kind of discrepancies in, in, in the four Gospels that uh, they want us to believe that are errors, contradictions. But Jesus says this. Okay, this looks better. He said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Jesus taught that Moses wrote the first five books of the scriptures, that they were given to him by God. He said, if you believe Moses, not Moses plus three or four other guys writing it, he says, if you would believe Moses, uh, you would believe me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They had their own understanding in that day, folks. And Jesus came and he just tore everything apart and they didn't like that. Did you know that the liberal does not accept the book of Jonah? How absurd to believe that a man could could live three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. He doesn't say that he was alive. <laughs> Someone had been swallowed by a great whale and they harpooned the whale and they cut him open and saved the man. But when they brought him out of the belly of that whale, the acids in the stomach of that whale had so bleached this man till he was absolutely as white as this napkin here. I wonder, whenever that fish got sick of Jonah being inside of him and spewed him up on the land. I wonder what Jonah looked like. I never thought of it in that, that manner, but can you imagine a man walking through the streets of Nineveh for 40 days preaching, yet God will destroy this place in 40 days and you better repent. Here was this ghostly looking figure and people would be astounded at seeing that, but it wasn't that figure that counted, it's that these people took the word of God to heart and they repented and God spared that great city. I believe it was for 150 years until they reverted back and then God brought the judgment he said he would bring if they didn't repent. Jesus says that as Jonah was in the belly of the flesh three days and three nights, so also shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. He'll be buried for three days and three nights and be resurrected into life. He didn't say, well, we'll use the this mythology, this book of kind of trying to explain things that aren't real to make them real. Uh, he said, it will be like Jonah, a real factual happening. <laughs> Something really caught me the other day as I was reading, getting ready for this, this man, a very liberal individual, made a statement. And I referred to it before, got a little ahead of myself, but that Jesus did not understand any higher, his perception of events were no higher than the people that he ministered to in his day. You know something? There's some people, folks, that you don't argue with. You don't get in a debate with. You don't even open the scriptures and share because they 
will have nothing to do with it. They have already preconceived ideas and they, they are as hard as granite. Their heart will not receive what you have to say. Jesus said, do not give that which is holy, the sacred thing to the dogs, and do not throw your pearls before hogs, lest they trample upon them with their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. That time may be coming, folks, here in America. We are living in a little window of opportunity, a time of opportunity, when we, we don't fear this morning of someone breaking down the door, coming and arresting us and taking us off to some camp, isolating us because of what we stand for. There was one pastor, his name was, uh, let me get it, I believe it was Ed Young. He had a large church back east and he had a large following on the radio and he made the statement that he would not enter the pulpit with a Bible lest he offend seekers someone asked the question well I wonder what they were seeking if you come to church and you have the Bible and you open the Bible, they know what you're going to do. You're going to present the scripture. You're going to represent the gospel message, the truth of God's word. But if you are afraid you're going to offend someone that comes through that back door, if you open your Bible, what are these people coming there for? Paul answers that. He says the time will come when men will have itching ears. They will want to have their ears tickled with things that pacifies the human nature, makes them feel good. Now one fellow I'm going to bring out, and he had millions of followers. Christianity Today said that this man influenced more Christian believers than any, or minister to, than any other man. His name was Robert Schuler. Familiar with him? Crystal Cathedral. His teaching on self-esteem was the thing that drew people to him to hear his word because it made people feel good as they were. His teaching was anti-biblical and appealed to the masses, the human, the humanists, which we all are, the nature of man. Now, let me read his teaching on sin. Listen to this. You know what scripture says about sin. It's teaching on sin. This is what Robert Schuller taught. Sin is any acts or thought that robs myself or another human being of his self-esteem. I have no right to ever preach a sermon or write an article that would offend the self-dignity and violate the self-dignity of a listener or reader. Let me give you an illustration of self-esteem. Two men went up to the temple, one a Pharisee, one a publican. The Pharisee stood, and he looked up, and he said, I thank thee, O God. He just went on, I tithe this, I give this, and I thank thee that I am not as this publican. The publican was bowed before God, his head to the ground. 
He, he was praying to God, but his unworthiness, he wouldn't even look up. He said, Father, forgive me a sinner. Which one of those men had self-esteem? I thank thee, O God, that I'm not like other men. That man was a fool of himself. There was no room for anything else. That publican that knew he had a need to be cleansed and made right with God. He said, forgive me. He smote his breath. He said, forgive me, a sinner. Jesus says, the Pharisee went down to his house unjustified. The publican went down to his house justified because he had accepted God's forgiveness. Sin is an act whereby the self-dignity violates someone's self-esteem. That was Ruler's, or Schuler's admonition on that. Now listen to this. Schuler contends that the most destructive thing that can be done to a person is to call him or her a sinner. Well, we can take John the Baptist and set him over in the category of it's still away with him because when he talked to the Pharisees, he says, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? But Shooter goes on. I don't think anything has been done in the name of Christianity that and under the name of Christianity and under the name of Christ that has listened to this proven more destructive to human personality and hence counterproductive of the often crude, uncouth, and unchristian strategy of attempting to make people aware of their loss and sinful condition. What is the ministry of the church today, folks? Isn't it to open the window of the and let God's word shine his light into the human heart? which is vile and corrupt beyond utterance. All of this talk today about we've got to get rid of guns because they are the, they're the, they're the culprit. You can put a gun here, a forty-five caliber. You can leave it there. That gun is not going to hurt anybody. It can lay there until it rusts and turns it to ashes. But when... The human heart, which is vile beyond understanding, sees that gun and he sees someone that he doesn't like or he sees something he wants, he knows that gun will be able to get it for him because people don't want to face that gun. He picks that up. Then people begin to, you hear every day on the newspapers, people killed. I mean, for no reason at all. One woman the other day in a supermarket bumped into this gentleman. Uh, I use that word term loosely. But she, oh, excuse me. And she started through the aisles to con- pick up the items she needed at the grocery store. And this man followed her, belligerent her, and just kept on saying, I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot you. Well, she finally got her groceries, got out and went in the car. Well, this man watched her drive away and he followed her and when she got to her door and unlocked the door he got out of his car and started shooting it it hit her it hit someone in the house no one was killed 
What brings that on? I, I, I can't understand. Well, yeah, I do understand it. But it, it's almost beyond comprehension. The heart of man, how berserk it's going. The heart of man is deceitful above all things, and who can know it? That's where it's got to start, folks. It's not passing these laws and taking guns away from individuals. It's the gospel message that can make the heart pure and accountable to God. That's what we need today. This article by Schuler was taken from Christianity Today, October 1984. This man was a heretic. I want to close this morning with a I get mad every time I read it, but nonetheless, it illustrates what we have today. In 1 Kings, chapter 13, well, maybe I won't read the whole chapter to you. You can read that yourself. But what it is, God called a young prophet. And he told this young prophet, I want you to go and I want you to prophesy in a certain place to a certain man. And I want you to get out of that country. I don't want you to drink. I don't want you to greet. I don't want you to to partake of food until you're out of that country. So he goes and he does exactly what God says. And after he prophesied before this altar... I'll read verse 8. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, because the king said, Oh, come down and have food with me. I will give you a gift. He said, If you gave me, I will not eat bread nor drink water in this place. And if you give me half your house, he says, I won't come down. And so he left, according to God's word. Now an old prophet at Bethel heard what this young man had preached and prophesied. And so he went and fetched this young prophet to come. And he, here's what he says to him in verse 15. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word Yea, hath the Lord said, Of the Lord you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. And he said to me, I also am a prophet. Reminds me of some of these preachers today. I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, Bring him back and with you to your house that he may eat bread. And drink water. God had spoken this to this young man. And here is another man that says, I'm a, I'm a prophet. And you have this word, but God spoke to me and said, you can discard what God said and believe my word. And so the young man came and ate and drank. And he went on his way. And a lion met him in the road and slew him. It tells me, folks, that when God says something and someone else claiming to be, well, I've, I'm, 
I've studied the original languages and I have, have come to the conclusion that, that there's error in this and, and you need to listen to me because I'm going to enlighten you as you weren't enlightened by just reading the word. This young man knew what God said and he disregarded the word and it destroyed him. Friends, we need to have ears that are attentive to what God's Word says and have God's Word so locked in our heart that when someone deviates from it, we will understand. This is not God speaking. Just like Schuler said, you know, the greatest sin is to call a man a sinner. Well, I guess Jesus was wrong too. <laughs> so, this isn't, a, isn't really an encouraging message this morning. But it's a message to alert you as to what is happening within the church. And what does it say in Thessalonians? After the departure, the rapture comes. The departure from what? The departure from the word of God. Timothy says the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but will teach the doctrines of demons. This is taking place. So we can, we can just praise the Lord this morning, folks, that we're seeing what God said would happen, and we are going to experience what Jesus says is coming, the rapture of the church. Father, this morning we are so grateful that your word is truth. There is no error in it. And each person that follows it, Father, has the guarantee that we will have eternal life. And if we are members of the body of Christ and we drink in your word, we'll be strengthened And no man, no man can lead us into darkness. Father, we're grateful for the Calvary Chapel. We're grateful for the freedom we yet have in America, that we can worship you, that the word of God is accessible. We can purchase it. We can preach it. But, Father, we likewise realize that this is a a small window, and we have a limited opportunity. So, Father, take advantage. Let us take advantage of what you've offered us, and that we might... Glorify you and worship you.